If we know our systematic theology, we know that Christ was both human and divine. He was one person having two coordinated natures, one human, one divine. Our salvation lies in the fact that he joined human obedience to divine perfection on the cross. This union of human and divine natures, which theologians term the hypostatic union, is of course impossible for us to fully comprehend. That's why the church rightly calls it a mystery. We can't fathom what it means to say that every thought that Jesus had was the product of a divine and human intellect operating in tandem, that every action that he took came from a divine and human will acting in perfect harmony. We can never fully comprehend how the divine nature of Christ could compress itself into the narrow confines of a created human person even one without sin. But that's our dogmatic faith in Jesus Christ. It's a mystery that can be forever probed, but can't be totally comprehended. Perhaps its beauty lies precisely in its opacity to our reason, our inability to fully penetrate it. We can never fully explain Jesus Christ. We can only marvel at God for his willingness to join to humanity in this way so that we can be redeemed. Ultimately, our only response is wonder and love. Yesterday, as many of you know, the church offered the funeral mass for Justice Antonin Scalia at the Basilica in D.C. Father Scalia gave a very moving homily for his dear dad, and he said this, Every funeral reminds us of just how thin the veil is between this world and the next, between time and eternity, between the opportunity for conversion and the moment of judgment. This short but brilliant statement captures so much of our Catholic faith, a faith that is not unique because it holds to the existence of both an earthly and a heavenly realm. Almost all religions posit this in some form or fashion. Rather, what the Christian faith uniquely teaches is that the veil separating these realms is so thin that heaven and earth can touch. That culminates in the person of Jesus Christ, true God and true man. But that twofold reality radiates out from Jesus Christ to touch all things, abolishing the distinction between the sacred and the profane, because all of creation is redeemed by Christ. It is why we are able to experience in the ordinary things of this world, bread and wine, water and oil, the sacraments of divine grace, sacraments that in their tangible reality communicate to us the wonders of unseen grace. They place us, even in this life, with one foot in heaven. St. Paul reminds us that our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we also await our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will change our lowly bodies to conform to his glorified body by the power that enables him also to bring all things into subjection to himself. That is why we treat the the bodies of the deceased with such reverence, as was done at the funeral of Justice Scalia yesterday, because the ordinary human body is the repository of an eternal soul that is capable of receiving divine grace and living in the kingdom of heaven. It's a theme that was picked up by St. Augustine in his epic masterpiece, The City of God. 
Augustine challenges us to see the divine reality that hovers just partially shielded from our view in this life. He talks about the suffering that afflicts both the righteous and the unrighteous in this world. St. Augustine pointed out that while the suffering may be outwardly similar, it was not the same. He wrote, Though good and bad men suffer alike, we must not suppose there is no difference between the men themselves, because there is no difference in what they both suffer. For as the same fire causes gold to grow brightly, it also causes chafe to smoke. So the same violence of affliction proves, purges, and clarifies the good, but damns, ruins, and exterminates the wicked. In the Gospel reading, we see recounted Christ's transfiguration. He converses with Moses and Elijah, two of the major figures from the Old Testament. The transfiguration reveals the fact that the new covenant is not merely a replacement of the old, but its fulfillment in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ appeared to the world in his time as an ordinary man. His divinity was not like some kind of third eye or an extra limb that he wore on his body. So too, Christ in his transfiguration shows that his word is not a novelty, but is rather meant to lay bare the reality of divine revelation, given partially and imperfectly in the Old Testament and now fulfilled by his life, death, and resurrection. Moses was the great lawgiver. Through him, God made the covenant with Israel that formed them into a nation. Elijah represents something different. He was a prophet, not a lawgiver. Like all the prophets, his mission was to call Israel away from a rote and corrupted system of worship and a legalistic obedience to the law. Elijah spoke of the covenant not as a system of rules, but, but as a gift from God that must be lived out in fidelity. These two offices, that of lawgiver and prophet, do not stand in opposition to one another. Rather, they are intertwined. The lawgiver speaks with sober analysis and practical wisdom. The prophet calls out with fiery pronouncements to call Israel back to her better self and to a radical renunciation of sin. God's covenant with Israel required both types of leaders at different times. Yet we see that in the transfiguration, Jesus Christ is the summum bonum, or sum of all good, of both archetypes. Just as Christ is both human and divine, in his person he reconciles the tension that exists between the law and the prophets. For he says, I have come not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Although we have, of course, the supreme example of Jesus Christ, this twofold ministry of law and prophecy continues even in the church today. Many people are fascinated by, and not a few people are confused by, Pope Francis's frequently quoted pronouncements on this topic or that. By his sometimes seemingly mercurial alternation between saying something that supports settled Christian teaching and something that seems to shake it up a bit. I think in this sense, Pope Francis is playing the role of the prophet. He's calling faithful Catholics outside of their comfort zone. He's different from Pope Benedict, who spoke more in the measured tones of centuries of magisterial teachings. He was more in the tradition of the lawgiver. We are blessed as a church to experience both types of popes. 
there's an old Roman saying, after a thin pope, a fat one. This manifold grandeur and beauty of, or the manifold beauty and grandeur that we see in creation points to the all-encompassing perfection of God. So too, the variety of popes and their different approaches within the church points to the beauty and totality of the faith as revealed by Jesus Christ, truly human and truly divine. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.